Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. to the Storybox podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me back. It's honestly a real privilege to be able to have another conversation with you. Your last conversation that we had, I had a feeling that it would do really well and it did extremely well. A lot of people were commenting about how much they really, really enjoyed what you had to say. So I am grateful for this time. So it means you're really popular amongst my audience. <laughs> uh, and we oh, said, sorry, what was that? I just said, that's so nice. Thank you. I mean, why wouldn't anyone love what you have to say? I mean, it's common sense <laughs> and uh, which seems to be not so common these days. So when any, anyone comes on my show that has a great deal of common sense, I love them even more. Uh, so, I mean, one of the things that we mentioned that we were going to talk about, which we ran out of time, the last interview, we sort of touched on it a little bit, but feminism, uh, you sort of began describing why you became a feminist in the first place. But for those of you, for those people that actually don't know who you are, what you do and why you're a feminist to begin with, would you be able to please explain for the audience? So I've always thought of myself as a feminist ever since I could remember. I grew up in mainly in the 70s and 80s. My mother was a product of the 50s and 60s, and she considered herself, a, still considers herself a feminist. And I would also just say that I grew up in what I would consider to be a pretty progressive household in the sense that my parents shared most domestic responsibilities fairly equally, I would say. And I... Uh, my parents are still together. I'm very happy to say after 50 something years. Wow. Uh, and my dad was always, uh, my my dad had his own career. He is a doctor. He's a retired doctor now. And he was always very supportive of my mother and her own career pursuits. And I saw that and I really appreciated it. And as I grew up into young adulthood, I studied feminism and I just thought that it was very important. I studied it in college. And I took some feminist courses in law school, and I ended up taking a career path that was unrelated to feminism, not antithetical to it, just unrelated. I ended up working uh, in what we in America call the progressive criminal justice reform movement. But I never lost my commitment to feminism. And what I'm about to say may be controversial to some of your audience and to you, but part of my commitment to feminism involves a commitment to abortion rights, uh, which I have always 
always believed very strongly in and still do. And none of that ever wavered. And so even though in college and in law school, I was pursuing a lot of different things, my commitment to feminism never waned. <clears throat> and then I spent the next just under 20 years doing criminal justice in the States. And at the end of 2014, a good friend of mine who is herself a feminist woke me up to the threats that so-called transgender poses to women and girls as a sex class. And that really reignited my commitment to feminism. What attracted you to feminism or the ideas that uh, pertained with feminism in the first place? What was it about it for you? Well, okay, so so this is story box. So you so you want to hear stories. Um yes, please. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I was in eighth grade, I would say that two things happened that so I would be around 13, 14. Two things happened that I think personally cemented my commitment to feminism. One of which was that I had this really great civics and government teacher in eighth grade. His name was Mr. Winter, and he was just an outstanding teacher. And he gave our class an assignment, which was to write to the majority leader of the House of Representatives. That's the, that, that's the top person in the U.S. House. And at the time, it was a man named Thomas O'Neill. And we were to pair up. So we were to get together with a friend, and we were to think of an issue that we cared about, and we were to write a letter to the majority leader of the House of Representatives. Great assignment for 13-year-olds, right? Like, get involved in activism, whatever your issue and whatever your position, get involved. So my friend and I wrote a letter to him about a law in the U.S. that is still on the books that says that the federal government, that it says no federal monies can be used for abortion. And again, whatever anyone thinks on abortion, I don't want to fight about that. I'm just saying that my friend and I thought, well, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. And if women, uh, it was at the time, um, if women with money can access abortion services, then poor women ought to be able to as well. So the letter that we wrote to the majority leader of the House of Representatives made that argument. And so that was one of my first sort of entries into political activism as a 13-year-old. And, and that required us to research the issue and really think hard about the issue. It was just a great assignment for a 13-year-old, uh, for a class of 13-year-old kids. Another thing that happened that same year, I'm very sorry to say, is that my mother's youngest sister was murdered by her husband. Uh, he had shot her to death and then shot himself to death. And she was, I think, 25 years old at the time. And that was a very difficult thing for my family to go through, obviously. And it made me think about, it made me think a lot about male violence against women. And it made me look at the issue. It forced me to look at the issue and to think hard about the number of women who were murdered by men in this country. I believe that until recently, it was three to four American women were murdered by men every day, literally every day. And then under lockdown, that number skyrocketed to around five women murdered by their, and this is, this is, this is, I'm sorry, this is not women murdered by men. 
this is women murdered by their domestic partners, whether husbands or boyfriends. Five every day. And this rarely gets reported in the news. It's a totally unreported story. Nobody seems to care about it. And uh, it made me think really hard about whether our society actually cares about women as human beings. And uh, I concluded that our society does not. And that is what made me a feminist. Why do you think our society doesn't care about women that much? Is it mainly a male problem or is it both some females and males? So that's a really good question. In my own country, I don't think that here in the States, we have ever really considered women to be fully autonomous human beings. And part of why I say that is we've got a provision in our constitution that requires equal protection of the laws. And it wasn't until 1971 that the United States Supreme Court decided that women are people as a legal matter, literally. It wasn't until 1971 that women were legally considered to be people for purposes of the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. And I just think that if our society, whether I'm talking about my country or globally, if we considered women and girls to be full human beings, we would not see exponential rates of um, uh, sex, what am I, what am I thinking? In, intentional abortions of female fetuses, uh, infanticide of female infants, the astronomical rates of rape, sexual abuse, and murder that are perpetrated against women and girls all over the world, or, or porn, frankly. I mean, we, we just would not see the kinds of porn that that we see in terms of how women are depicted and degraded if our society considered women to be actual human beings. It's 99% of pornographic material depicts some form of violence against a woman and young men are ingesting that kind of material and it changes their psyche. It changes the way they view women changes the way they treat women. I know I was addicted to the, the rubbish for since I was 12 years old. And I noticed how it made me treat my, the women in my life. It was disgusting. And I did not like that. And I'm glad that I was able to get away from it. So it looks as if like society has created problems for themselves. And I guess my question is, do you see feminism or, or why do you see feminism as being sort of like this cure or a way out of, or more or less protecting women from the likes of these? Because women, I've no, I know can treat men poorly too, right? Sorry, did you say women can treat men poorly too? Yeah, it can be, Yeah, it can be both. Men can treat, I know statistics have said, I guess today and even in the past that men have done terrible things to women and they continue to do so, but also some women I know treat men poorly as well. So how do we fix this issue? Is it more the role of feminism, let's say, or is it more a human issue? It's true. Uh, I, you know, I, I personally know a guy 
who has told me some horrific stories about how his mother abused him as a boy and as a young man. And I don't question him at all. I know that that happens. I just go back to the statistics that show that the overwhelming majority of sex-based violence is committed by men against women, which is not to minimize the amount of violence, not sexual violence, but physical violence. And in this country, especially gun violence that is perpetrated by men against men, right? That's a, that's a really important thing. And I don't mean for that to get lost. But to your point, it's true that some women do treat men very badly. I guess I just go back to Margaret Atwood's adage that, and I'm paraphrasing, for the most part, women are afraid, men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will kill them. And I just think that that remains true. And so for me, you know, feminism is an important political movement, by which I mean, my my primary interests is for the the rights, privacy, and safety, and dignity of women and girls as a sex class. And that's why this whole trans thing becomes important. It's not to say that I'm not uh, concerned about the welfare of men and boys. I am. And in the in the trans context, that particularly comes up with, with boys and young men who are harming themselves, as girls are, girls and young women. More girls and young women than boys and young men. But I'm totally sympathetic to the plight of the boys and young men who have been caught up in this. And they deserve just as much care and remedy and, and, and medical health treatment to help them, medical and mental health treatment to help them accept themselves as boys and men. So it's not that I'm unsympathetic to the plight of boys and men in our society. I've got men that I care about, many men that I care about in my life. It's more just that as a political movement, feminism is focused on women and girls as a sex class. And that's what I've chosen to focus on at this point in my life and in my career. Have you foreseen, or do you see in today's day and age, any flaws within feminism? Plenty. Would you be able to explain some of those flaws that you've seen? So when I talk about feminism, I am talking about the political movement to liberate women and girls from male domination. Now, that is that specifically is often referred to as radical feminism. 30 years ago, I never felt the need to refer to myself as any particular type of feminist. I knew that I was a feminist, but I hadn't really done thinking, and I didn't really feel emotionally invested in caring about what kind of feminist I was. I knew about various types. I knew there's socialist feminists, environmentalist feminists, liberal feminists, da, 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 da. I studied all of that, and I knew all about it, but it wasn't my chief concern. And in more recent years, I have decided that it is very important for me to call myself a radical feminist because when I refer to feminism, what I mean is radical feminism. But what passes for feminism in America and in many other places is something that I don't recognize as feminism at all. It's the type of so-called feminism that advances the idea that, quote, sex work is work, the idea that pornography is empowering, yeah. uh, the idea that uh, we should all feel very empowered by wanting our boyfriends to do horrible things to us during sex. I mean, it it really, really bothers me. But 
that kind of stuff passes as feminism. And I see that as hugely problematic. That would be considered third wave, third wave feminism, right? Third wave or liberal, but I won't even call it feminism because I don't recognize it as feminism at all. I don't either. And there's also another, I guess, sect that comes out of these third wave radicals that call themselves feminists that say that every single man is considered vile and evil and should be done away with, which I disagree with completely. I'm all for women being equal. I'm all for sex-based rights. I'm all for that, but I wouldn't consider myself to be a male feminist. I know some others do consider themselves to be that. I just have a high respect for women Sure, I've failed in the past, but I don't think no one's perfect, right? I think everyone has failed to some degree, but I'm interested more or less in what are these sex-based rights that feminists have been uh, fighting for, let's say, in a political stance for such a long time. So just to get to your point about whether feminists think all men are evil, One of my favorite things that any radical feminist ever said is Andrea Dworkin, who said, and I'm again, I'm paraphrasing, if I thought that all men are equal, I wouldn't even bother with this thing called feminism, right? Mm -hmm. If I thought that you were all equal, I would just write you off. Um, And she has this great quote about how there's a reason that women aren't running around killing men all the time. And the reason is not that there's a shortage of kitchen knives, right? The reason <laughs> that <laughs> the reason is one. that is that we believe in men's humanity. Like we believe that men can want to respect women, you know, mm. and there are so many examples of that that radical feminists, at the end of the day, radical feminists, perhaps ironically, end up having more faith in men's humanity than many men do. It's really interesting. Why do you think that's the case? So that was just to that. Sorry, what was up? I was curious, why do you think that's the case? Why do you think some women end up having more faith in men's humanity? And then maybe that might help segue into the next part. Why do I think that? I mean, I I guess, I I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting psychological question. Mm. I had a, a boss one time uh, a guy who it was a very good boss and he was a very nice person. And he would, when, when issues concerning like, you know, the sexes would come up in conversation, he would say things like, I make no excuse for my sex. Right. He would say like, he, he would basically say like, I know men are shit. Right. Like, I mean, he didn't say that, but he was speaking as a man and as a father of a boy and he was, he, he would denigrate men much more than I would, right? Like, I would be like, well, you could actually not be shit. (laughs) Comes down to a choice at the end of the day, I reckon. And also how one is raised. Um, Because I was raised in a loving and nurturing environment. My mom was, I guess, the one that raised me primarily. And so I had this high level of respect and dignity for women 
and I saw what they go through a lot of the time and I, I just wanted to help as much as I could with my limited <laughs> ways of of helping. And um, yeah, I, I, it is an interesting psychological aspect because you got these radicals that nowadays that promote a harmful idea, but yet they'll turn around and go, oh, I don't think that all men are evil. I don't, please don't, I don't think that, but they're contradicting themselves a lot of the time. So it's, yeah. it's rather fascinating to me, but yeah, going back to the other point that you're trying to make, um, I think I lost it. <laughs> Whoops. I want to just say one more thing before we leave this point, which is that I know a guy who, uh, who's a very, very, very nice person. And he, I, I know his mother, I don't know his father, but I know that they are still together and have been for a very long time. And I know that he was raised in a very nurturing environment. And he had something very interesting to say on the topic of pornography. And mm. what he said was, I don't want to live in a world where pornography is illegal. I want to live in a world where men do not feel sexually aroused at images of women being degraded. And I've always just appreciated his statement about that. See, that's interesting because I would be happy for porn to just be done away with because of the harmful nature and harmful effects that it does to a young person's brain. But it's interesting that's how... Crazy. Sorry, go on. Well, that's sort of what he's saying. Hmm. That's sort of what he's saying. I mean, he would he would also be happy to live in a world where porn is done away with. But I think his point is that he he would prefer to live in a world where it didn't exist in the first place. Yeah. That would be a very interesting world because I think a lot of problems have stemmed from pornography for a lot of young men. Yeah. The dangers of porn, I could spend ages talking about it and all the research that I've found that not just the psychological damage, but even the brain and the rewiring it does for the brain, the perception that you have of yourself, and then the way you act around certain people, what you think, what you say, it is really, really damaging. And I was even watching a uh, conversation with Jordan Peterson and Andrew Huberman, and they were talking about the effects that it has on mating. So when you are watching porn, you are desiring to be and you are imagining yourself to be with that other person. And it's almost like you're creating this attachment, psychologically speaking, to this other person. So when you are actually with a real life partner that you claim to love, let's say, and you're, you're watching another person that you're desiring on the other end, when it comes down to the real person, you're no longer desiring her really you're desiring other people. And so it's just this, and, and which also leads to that man treating the woman that he's with extremely poorly because he's desiring to be with somebody else. It's an interesting aspect. I find that society is not really paying much attention to. And those that do warn everyone to say, you should not be watching this. 
you got the other side that will go, no, 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 it's empowering. It's empowering us to do OnlyFans. We've got control of our, of our bodies, bodily, body autonomy and all that sort of stuff. But you're not realizing the harms it is doing to a lot of young men. So they're my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, got, it's got absolutely nothing. No, 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 I agree with you, of course. And, you know, it, it has absolutely nothing to do with forming authentic, emotional, respectful, loving relationships with actual human beings. Which I think is really, really sad. Um, we we are created to have connection with each other, especially with the opposite sex as well. You got male and female, which I think is under the trans movement somehow being done away with. I don't understand that side of things. It's like it's fascinating to me how you've got male and female and then they want to create this sort of in between between both like it's just so ridiculous it's not even funny yeah i mean it's like that it's a little more complicated than that but yeah we can talk about that if you want or we can talk about dr phil whatever yeah. whatever you want to talk about i mean i was sort of getting off track a little bit i think um but you were on Dr. Phil, not that long ago. And would you be able to share what ended up happening? Was it well received, do you think? And how, like, were you reached out to by Dr. Phil's team and asked to come on? Like, what was the story behind that? Yeah. So it was July of 2022. And the reason I remember that is because. It was my partner's birthday and we were taking a little trip into Maryland and it was this tiny little town in Maryland that had like one store, you know, one post office, tiny, tiny little town. And we went into this bar that was a, was a bar that also had pizza. That was all it had. It had like beer and pizza and that was all. And we sat at the bar and ordered a pizza and drank a beer. And then I went outside and he was paying for the beer and the pizza. And outside I was checking my phone and I had an email from the producers of the Dr. Phil show. And I was like, what? And I thought, okay, that's interesting. And they were inviting a phone call. And I responded immediately and said, I'd be happy to have a phone call. And so we did. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, I had several phone calls with the producers, two, two producers of Dr. Phil. And it took them a while to confirm that I was going to be on the show. They eventually did. And it took them a, an even longer time to decide who was going to be on the quote pro trans side, right? I, I was there to be a TERP, a trans exclusionary radical feminist. That was going to be my job. They didn't, but that was the idea. And they needed to have someone who was going to be on the other side, who was going to promote the trans agenda. And at one point, they secured a guy who calls himself Sissy 
gender, queer, non-binary. I think that's what he calls himself. Anyway, regardless, uh, he's a man and his name is Jacob Tobia, T-O-B-I-A, if anyone wants to look him up. So he was going to be on the show and I was like, great, I would love to debate Jacob Tobia on the topics of sex and gender. That sounds like a lot of fun. And then they told me that when they that when he found out that I was going to be on the other side, he just backed out completely. Huh. So that was interesting. Got and then they couldn't find Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they couldn't find anyone. And at one point I was on the phone with the producers, the head producer, and she said, Kara, it is remarkably difficult to find someone to go up against you on this topic. And I thought that was really funny. Uh, but I was also scared that they would pull me from the show for that reason. Hmm. But they did, to their credit. So so they flew me out to Los Angeles in, I'm pretty sure it was August of 2022. So it would have been a year now. I flew to Los Angeles and it was... I mean, it was just really interesting. It was pretty wild, the whole thing. They they put me up in this very nice hotel and they provided my transportation to the studio. We had to get there hours and hours before the show was to tape. And there were very strict COVID protocols for getting into the studio. And so, so we had to be tested upon entering which is one thing and then the the guy there was this guy who was assigned to sort of i don't know babysit me while i was waiting to get into the studio and he came out and he said i'm, I'm so sorry your test is inconclusive <laughs> and i was like okay but first of all i've been vaccinated i know that's a controversial topic I, we don't have to fight about vaccinations but i was vaccinated and i had tested before i got on the plane and i was negative before I got on the plane. Anyway, they said the test was inconclusive, so I couldn't come in. I had to take another test. So that was fine. I did. And then I had to wait for that test result. And in the meantime, I'm getting sort of nervous because the the taping is kind of approaching. And I know that I've got hair and makeup and clothes and blah, blah, blah. So the test is inconclusive a second time. So I have to take a third test. And finally, I'm negative. So they let me in. And, and from then it was kind of a blur. The, the first, well, I had a dressing room, so that was nice. I'd never had a dressing room before, but my dressing room was basically an empty room with a desk and a small mirror on the wall. It was not like a fancy dressing room. There were no fancy lights or anything like that, but, uh, but I did have a, a private room to myself. So that was nice. And they had told me to bring clothes that I might want to wear for the taping. So I did. I brought a couple of outfits that I thought might be appropriate. And and the first people to come visit me were the wardrobe women. And these women were hilarious. They they were so stereotypical. They had tape measures around their necks and they had these little pin cushions as bracelets with pins stuck in them. And they looked at my outfits that I had displayed on the floor for their consideration and they were like mm, maybe this maybe that I mm -mm, don't <laughs> like that and then they would run into their I don't know warehouse area and get these other ideas and bring them and hang them on this little hanging tree thing and 
they'd be like, okay, we need to see you in this. We need to see you in that. Mm -mm." And then I would put on a new outfit and then they would come back in and they would be like, "Mm, mm, mm, mm." and they would would just be standing there. It was such a weird thing. And they, and they would then like change me and do all sorts of things. And it, it was very funny and a little bit stressful, but mostly funny. And then I went into the makeup room and the makeup guy was this very flamboyant gay man who had done makeup on Broadway for a long time. He was really fun. We had a great time. And I I told him, please make my makeup as natural as possible because I just didn't want to be like super made up. And he was very good. He was like, he was like, don't worry, love, we'll make you perfect. And I was (laughs) like, oh, that's so nice. It was just really fun. And then I went to the hair lady. I will just say in a very petty way. I was not very happy with my hair. Who cares? That's not the important part. So that was the lead up to the taping. Is that is that a fun story? Rather interesting, actually. And, and the fact that you mentioned you almost didn't go on the show because they couldn't find someone to really debate you, which I think is a major compliment, to be honest. Like so many people are actually scared to really speak what they believe in. But uh, clearly you've got more on your side than they do, (laughs) which I find really interesting that they do not like having conversations. They try and shut people up that are on the opposing side, let's say on the side of sanity and science and biology. They try and get rid of those people by just saying, we're going to cancel you. We're not even going to engage, which I think is just stupid, if you ask me, but not not a sign of a healthy society. So how do you feel about people that are part of the transgender community that don't want to actually have a conversation with you? I took it exactly the way that you just described. I mean, when she said, I can't find anyone to debate you, it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, it, you know, th- th- this is why, this is why we radical feminists who oppose gender identity can't be heard, right? You know, if people, do you and your audience know who Chase Strangio is? My audience may know, but I don't. Okay, so Chase Strangio is a lawyer at the ACLU. Uh, Full disclosure, I worked at the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, between 2012 and 2014 on criminal justice policies. I did not work on things related to sex and gender. I worked on the U.S.'s problem with mass incarceration and police militarization. And I left at the very end of 2014 for personal reasons, having nothing to do with this topic that we're talking about. Uh, there's a, a lawyer who joined the ACLU, I believe in 2013, and I'm going to refer to her as her. And her name is Chase, and she considers herself to be a man. Uh. And she came on to be the deputy director of transgender justice at the ACLU. So Chase and I overlapped at the ACLU by, I don't know, something like six months to a year or something. I don't really know because I never met her, I don't think, while I was working there. But 
in any event, uh, Chase knows who I am. I know who Chase is. Chase and I have exchanged email messages in the context of the meeting happening in the U.S. Chase has gone on tweet storms accusing me of all manner of things. And I would like to go on a show like Bill Maher. I don't mm. know if you if you guys know who Bill Maher is, but you know, so he's a fairly well-known American. Yeah. So I would love to go on a show with Bill Maher with Chase and have this conversation. And I don't think Chase would do it. You know, I, I would love to have the conversation. Let's have more debate. Let's mm. have more, not even, you know, we don't even have to debate. Let's just discuss. Let's just talk about it. Mm. Well, debate these days is not really debate. Willing. It becomes like this. I don't even need to because if you say if you say debate, what the trans movement will say is, "I'm not going to debate my existence." That's mm. what they'll say. And the thing is, no one's debating anyone's existence. There are eight billion people or so on the face of this planet. We all exist. No one's debating that. Every single one of us is either female or male. Period. Stop. So I don't want to talk. I don't want to frame it in terms of. I'm just interested in discussion. Let's have more discussion, not less discussion mm. about these topics. I think it was Rowan Atkinson that said the solution to freedom of speech or the problems that we've got happening at the moment with cancel culture is not to cancel speech. It's more speech. We should be talking more about these topics, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. I'm a, I'm a free speech absolutist. We may not like what a person has said doesn't mean we should stop a person from saying it because we disagree or don't like them. The transgender group are this protected characteristic group, according to YouTube, that's their own policy. I'm like, why are they protected, but normal human beings are not like, they're so special for some reason, what makes them so special. And when they go, I don't want to debate my existence. I'm like, well, what does it mean to really exist? If you can define that and explain that to me, by all means, <laughs> but they won't, they don't even know because they're trying to fight for their so-called existence, but they don't even really know or believe for one second that they exist because it all comes down to this one ideology that they're believed in, which I think is fascinating. It is fascinating. And a good friend of mine, her name is Saba Malik. Uh, and she once gave a talk where she said, if I thought that your disagreement with me negated my existence, I would be a very insecure person. hundred percent. Right. If, if any, if anyone's disagreement with each other negated the other person's existence, then none of us would exist. Mm. I think it just makes, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And I think a lot of people these days are really soft. I think we've created a soft minded society, especially the transgender group of people. Like they're a small little minority group. And somehow some people within positions of power have gone, 
oh, because you're a minority group and you've got a loud voice, we're going to listen to you and we're going to create this safe space for you. Who are anyone to disagree on the fact that you somehow exist or don't exist or whatever else it is because you claim it to be so? Like, I can claim whatever the hell I want. I do want to say, I, I don't think that there's a group here. There's, there's no coherent group of people called trans people. It, it just doesn't exist as a coherent group of people. Every single person who claims to have a trans identity is either female or male. Just like hmm. every single person who, every single person who calls herself or himself, oh, I don't want to be disrespectful here. I don't want to be disrespectful of religion. So let me take it out of religion. Every single American Democrat is either female or male. Every single American Republican is either female or male. Every single Christian is either female or male. Every single Jewish person is either female or male. You know, every single, any any group you can have, all of us are either female or male, but there's no group that isn't made up hmm. of female and male people, none. So I don't even like to talk about trans as a group. And a lot of the people who show up to rallies, we haven't even gotten into like the violence that women face when we speak out about our rights, but a lot of the people who show up to oppose women speaking out about our rights, as happened in Melbourne, as happened later in Auckland, New Zealand, with Posey Parker visiting your country and New Zealand, yeah. um, a lot of them don't complain to be trans themselves. They're just shouting a bunch of things mm. into the into their megaphones, basically. I'm sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent. No, I, I like it because I, I agree. Like, I, I think where my, I see a bunch of people that gather together within their own little group, let's say, and then they believe the same thing and they shout to the rooftops, they become ex extremely violent and they trample on women. They don't care about women, yet they claim that they want to be like women, which like why in the world are you trampling on real women for? And then they come up with these pathetic and ridiculous labels. I cannot stand cis. It knocks me and sends me up the wrong way. It really does. Because what is the point? And then they will say assigned at birth. No, 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 no. Don't tell me that I was assigned at birth. No, I was born male. Leave it at that. Don't tell me I was assigned by somebody. A doctor's assigned me being male. I was conceived. At the moment of conception, I was given male. XY chromosome. That's science, but they won't, they won't go with that. They're trying to, for whatever reason, remove science from the equation. And if you say anything against that, you're considered to be hateful. I'm like, how is that hateful? The truth is now hateful. Like, and now women are hateful too, for speaking the truth. So we're going backwards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I yeah i mean there's there's a lot that you said there but i 
I, I've been called a Nazi more times than I can count. And I just, I, I, I've never practiced Judaism, but probably a lot of people can tell from looking at me that I have Ashkenazi heritage. It's all on my dad's side. So uh, I'm not, I'm not religiously Jewish, but, but my father's ancestors came from Eastern Europe and they were Eastern European Ashkenazi Jews. And my grandmother, my father's mother, was an absolutely devout Jew. And for someone to call me, and I was very close to her, she died in 2007, and I was very, very close to her. She called me Carabelle and Carola. She had so many sort of lovely pet names for me, and I, I miss her dearly. And she was also very, strict and very strict I, I would say in a good way she was very she was I, I want to say traditional but she wasn't a traditional grandmother in the sense that she, like she didn't cook very much uh she she just she just thought that it was important for society to have values and ethics and she taught me piano and she was herself a teacher and then a principal and she cared about women advancing in the world and she taught me so much about how to be a woman in the world and she was this jewish woman born of an immigrant her mother was an immigrant from ukraine and i just don't know how you're going to call me a nazi i like i just don't understand <laughs> like i don't understand my grandmother's mother who i remember my great grandmother died when i was like seven or eight or something she was fleeing the pogroms in ukraine how are you going to call me a nazi i don't understand but they do. And they call actual Jewish people Nazis, believe it or not. So they call whoever goes against them and their ridiculous ideology, they call them whatever they want. You're a transphobe, you're a bigot, you're a Nazi, you're a fascist, you're everything, according to them. But we ain't. So <laughs> get lost almost. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. Just be quiet, please. And... Yeah, stop it. It's getting really, really annoying. I'm sick and tired of the level of insanity. There was this video that I shared on uh, social media of this so-called sexuality expert or parenting expert, self-proclaimed, obviously, got pink hair. Obviously, you've got the pronouns and everything else that goes along with it. I'm like, great. I... Thank God I was not raised by that woman or whatever they choose to identify as because get this, she was saying on live TV that babies, before changing the nappies, the baby has to give you consent first. Otherwise, it is abuse to that child. <laughs> I know, right? Yes, that was my reaction. And the reporter that was doing the report, you could see that she was literally holding back like tears of laughter because the absolute absurdity. And she was the, the so-called sexual expert was saying a child gives you consent. Like you meant to wait a couple of seconds. And when the baby nods their head, then you can go in and you can change their nappy for them. And I'm going, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> And this is a actual segment, believe it or not. She's teaching this stuff, but 
that's the the level of insanity that goes on these days is just absolutely absurd and people go along with it i'm like what is wrong with you (laughs) yeah i don't know i i (laughs) yeah i a, a good friend of mine is a woman named jennifer billick who runs something called the 11th hour blog and she's on twitter a lot using hashtag stay human it just hashtag stay human you know like stay human in in the face of this relentless nonsense i mean i was i was 13 years old when my brother was born and by the time i was in high school my parents were going off having saturday night dates and they were leaving me to babysit my little brother all fine all good la 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 i had to do the chores i had to do the laundry you know like i had responsibilities in the house and one of the things was babysitting my brother and like what i had to ask his permission before god (laughs) my hashtag would be stay sane please for the love of god just stay sane we need more sane people and the thing is like when you are speaking up and you can even see like that i think the tide is changing a little bit because the level of just absolute insanity that's going on and being, you know, produced on a global platform. Like you don't have to look too far on Twitter and you look at the Twitter comments or even on uh, TikTok, which is the bane of all humanity. Again, you look at the comments section and what people are saying and a vast majority of them are going, you are stupid. (laughs) There is something wrong with you. A friend of mine actually was saying to me, not that long ago because we need to declare a war on weird like we we just need to call things for what they really are it's weird and we need to push it aside and say weird people and weirdness go over here please and not at the forefront of society and take over let's leave sane society as it is (laughs) please yeah so 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 bringing together a couple of topics being weird and bill maher we were talking about bill maher a little bit ago um and then if we could i want to say a few things about my book coming Please up do. yep go for it okay just but bill maher did this amazing episode in 2019 going into the 2020 presidential elections and it's it's beautiful. I, I, I need to say, I've got some major problems with Bill Maher, but setting those aside, this 2019 thing he did was perfect. And what he said was to all the Democratic candidates, he was talking to Elizabeth Warren, who wanted to use federal taxpayer money to give federal prisoners, um, you know, what she referred to as gender affirming surgeries. Mm. she basically wanted to use taxpayer money to cut men's parts off yep we've got that here in australia now we're doing it now actually we're doing it now she got her way um kamala harris who introduced herself at a at a presidential town hall announcing her she her pronouns and a, a guy named julian castro who's a former mayor of San Antonio, Texas, I think. And he wanted to talk about 
the importance of abortion rights for transgender women. Now, think about that phrase for a second. If you are someone who supports transgender women, you need to understand that that phrase refers to men. <laughs> and there's no need to talk about abortion rights for transgender women. And so Bill Maher just lashed into all of them and said, stop being weird. Literally, stop being weird. All you have to do, this is him, right? All you have to do is be less crazy than Donald Trump. <laughs> Why are you struggling with this? This is what Bill Maher was saying to the Democratic candidates for president in 2019, and he was totally right. Stop being weird. So here's, here's a funny question for you. Do you think that a lot of these people on the Democratic side are becoming more weird than Donald Trump at the moment? That's a really good question. Um, I, that's a, that's a very hard question because, you know, the, the orange guy is under, I don't even know how many indictments at this point. I think he's up to his um, fourth now. Fourth complaint, but each complaint includes, I think, numerous charges. So, yeah. um, and I'm going to have to go fairly quickly, but let me use that great point to segue into my book. Can I talk about my book a little bit? Please. I would love to. All right. So, uh, so in 2021, I published a book called The Abolition of Sex, and that was basically to make the case that all of gender identity, all of transgender, is basically about abolishing the material reality of sex in the law. And my main audience for that was mainstream American liberals, to give them a vocabulary to talk about this, because... I am not right-wing. I am not a registered Republican. I have always been a registered Democrat, except for when I was a Green. And we just need to break this issue open in American society. And I know you do too in Australia. I, I don't mean to discount that, but I, let me just pause for a second. Thank you so much for letting me talk to your Australian audience. I know I'm just an American weirdo, but... No, you're not. <laughs> so my next book... So my next book is going to talk about why I think and how I can document that the Democrats in power and the entire American left knows exactly what it's doing. I've been tracking this since 2015. I can talk about how radical feminists have been telling the Democrats since 2016 exactly how bad this is for women and girls, how bad it is for lesbians and gay men, how bad it is for kids. I can document exactly when and where we've told Democrats in positions of power all along the way. And they're going ahead with it anyway. They're not misguided. They're not confused. They know what they're doing. And they also know going into the 2024 election cycle, how unpopular all of this is with the American electorate. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, I don't care. The vast majority of Americans know that this is nonsense. It's very unpopular. And the Democrats are going full speed ahead with it anyway, but at some point they're gonna get a clue and they're gonna realize how unpopular it is. And my worry is that they're gonna backtrack. They're gonna try to pretend that this never happened 
They're going to try to pretend that they never housed men in women's prisons. They're going to try to pretend that they never allowed men to compete in women's sports. They're going to try to pretend that they never advocated for the sterilization and mutilation of children's bodies. And I don't want them to get away with it. And that is my own party leadership I'm talking about. And that book should come out in the next couple months. Do you have a title for the book? A title? The Reckoning. How the Democrats and the left betrayed women and girls. That gave me chills. The Reckoning. I love it. I'm going to have to bring you back on again, Cara, to talk about your book. I think that would be fantastic because I agree with you wholeheartedly that there is this plan, as it were, in place. And you're right. I feel the same thing. I feel like they're just going to go, well, we didn't do anything wrong. We weren't doing this. Like, yeah, right. We've got evidence. So you can die, deny until you're blue in the face. Doesn't mean that you're, you're right again. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much, Cara, once again, for your time and your wisdom and your sanity. It's a refreshing part of my, my life at the moment. <laughs> I need it. So to be continued, I guess. Thanks so much for having me. I do really appreciate it. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I'm just this weird American. What can I say? up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 